Hi, I'm Dan Permack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Friday, February 26th. Household income is up, AT&T is cutting down its stake in DirecTV, and we're talking with DoorDash CEO, Tony Hsu. Airbnb and DoorDash are very different companies. One's a platform for getting out of your house. The other is for bringing food to your house. But in some ways, they're inextricably linked. For starters, they both went public late last year within 24 hours of each other. And yesterday, both released their first ever quarterly earnings, also within just a few minutes of each other. But, and this is more important, they're kind of flip sides of the same pandemic coin, where the pandemic's eventual end could mean very different things for each one. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Two episodes. This one speaking with DoorDash CEO Tony Hsu, and another one, which you can also find in your feed, talking with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky. As for DoorDash, it saw its business benefit almost immediately from the pandemic. It became a literal lifeline for people stuck inside their homes, many of whom had never used meal delivery apps before. And then it expanded to offer other kinds of delivery, like groceries. It also helped a lot of restaurants survive, giving them a way to serve customers while dining rooms were closed. DoorDash now believes that all that customer acquisition will continue to pay dividends post-pandemic, but acknowledges that some of those 2020 tailwinds may dissipate once we're all able to eat out again. So we're pleased to be joined now by DoorDash's co-founder and CEO, Tony Hsu, to talk to us about the future of his company, restaurants, and getting stuff delivered to our homes. So, Tony, let's start here. One of the things uh, you said during the earnings call is that some of kind of the 2020 or, or pandemic tailwinds might slow down a little bit next year as people start to go out of their house, et cetera. Right now, in February 2021, how do you try to gauge what demand for the rest of this year is going to look like? Well, we don't have a crystal ball. You know, the best that we can do is prepare for all the scenarios. And so, I, look, I mean, I, I think we have a few data points, right? In 2020, in the May, June time frame, you know, a lot of the states and cities in the U.S. actually did reopen, Texas, Georgia, Florida. In fact, you saw very aggressive indoor dining recovery and our business continued to grow during that point in time. And in other parts of the world, you know, if, if you looked at Australia, for example, certain cities like Melbourne were even more fully recovered where life kind of did res- resume as if it was pre-pandemic or in a normalized way. And there you saw maybe a 20% you know, percent drop from the COVID highs in terms of our business. And so that's another data point. So those are all the data points that we actually have. And, um, but no, for us, it's really making sure that we invest in the fundamentals of bringing you the best selection, quality of experience, the affordability of the service and great customer service. And so if we focus on that, we should be able to prepare for all the scenarios. Is your belief, and I think we've had this conversation a little bit before, but is it your belief that, Average person, say, who hadn't used DoorDash before the pandemic, maybe they get on last April or last May and they've been using it off and on since then. When they feel comfortable, they will go back to restaurants if there's somebody who likes to do that. They will eat in. But because they experience DoorDash, it's now going to become also part of their life. They might not use it as much as they have over the last year, but it's now part of their arsenal, whereas it wasn't, say, two years ago. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think consumer habits, they tend to be sticky. I mean, this is why, I mean, holding an iPhone right now, we tend to not go back to 
whatever the opposite of smartphones were. You know, when the internet came, we tend to not go back to paper and pencil. When e-commerce came, we tend to not always just buy everything in store. And I think when it comes to convenience, it tends to go into the direction of greater convenience. And I think that's no different from, you know, bring everything inside your city to you in minutes, not hours or days. One of the things I know you did in the earlier days of the pandemic was you guys, and you weren't alone, other gig economies did this too, kind of recruited or really kind of offered work to folks who had lost their jobs in in other places and kind of brought them onto the platform. I don't know if you have metrics on this, but have those people kind of fallen off and gone back to what they had done before? And, And kind of how do you judge that going forward? I don't have maybe the specific stats on, you know, folks who maybe came onto our platform from March. Um, Because one of the reasons why that's a hard to track statistic, this is even true for dashers who joined our platform pre-pandemic, is they tend to come on and off. You know, because 91% of these dashers, they work fewer than 10 hours a week. And so when they achieve their objective of, you know, a certain dollar goal that they were trying to accomplish, they may get off the platform. And then they may come back on again when they have another earnings opportunities. You know, in Q4 alone, over a million dashers earned over $2 billion. And so I think they found the platform to achieve their objectives. But again, I think it's that flexibility of coming on and off that they really cherish. You just report your first ever earnings. So tell me the experience of prepping for it. And also you just got off your first earnings call. Give me your thoughts. You just did this for the first time. Well, look, I I think there's the tactics of prepping for earnings itself. But I think, you know, for us, we were doing this prep two, three years ago in the sense of when we were making sure we're building a strong fundamental business. And especially as we're going through, you know, the preparation to becoming a public company that started in 2019, second half of the year or so, you know, we we had a few of these run-throughs, if you will. And so, it felt pretty natural, honestly. Um, and at the same instance, a lot of the results you know, that we reported on were achieved many, many quarters ago when the work was put in. I'm wondering, the top line uh, of these earnings are uh, significantly increased revenue, increased loss also uh, for a variety of reasons, and the stock goes down. When you talk to your employees, how do you communicate what's happening in the market compared to what's happening in your numbers to your employees, a lot of whom have stock in the company? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, uh, um, you know, we've had instances in our history where external metrics and possible validation or, or scoreboards or however you want to discuss some of those metrics and internal, you know, metrics, input metrics like what we're doing for customers, merchants and dashers have disagreed. To me, um, we can only focus on what we control. I mean, this is what I said the day of our IPO when we priced shares at 102 and accomplished those objectives, in our opinion, successfully. And it's what I will say on any day because actually I, I haven't even looked at the stock price. It's down. Okay, thanks for telling me. But for, for me... We don't get to control that trajectory. The investment community will, will ascribe their valuations. But no, for us, it's making sure that we can continue delivering for our audiences and the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, I wonder when you look forward for 2021, do you have a sense, or, and I don't know how you would gauge this, on how many new restaurants are not just going to come onto your platform, but are going to come into being and then maybe come onto your platform, and whether they're with you or another delivery company, do you think we're going to see a boom in that in 2021 or, or do you think that's off in the future? Well, I'm optimistic. I mean, first of all, I wish we were doing this in person. I wish actually the vaccines were already here and that we could be sharing a meal together because, I mean, 
I desperately miss eating inside of a restaurant. Yeah, I do actually think that there will be more business growth. And I think one of the reasons for that, it's actually not just in the restaurant industry, it's actually in you know every category of retail is, I think cause 2020 forced every brick and mortar store to do e-commerce and become omni-channel because they saw very strong results, especially those that did it, that they're gonna use that incremental sales to keep driving more investment and growth. Not to mention, they also have you know sales that they have to comp themselves, right? And so I think all of that suggests there will be greater investment into local commerce. I'm going to come back to overall e-commerce in a sec, but I'm curious, is it next year, the year after? Do you have a sense of when you think the number of U.S. restaurants ballpark is the same as it was in February of 2020? Uh, um, I'll have to take a look at some of the numbers. I mean, I think... You know, I think one of the hard things to do here is almost like how do you count a restaurant these days? Because one of the reasons for that is you have, you know, tens of thousands of merchants, for example, on DoorDash that are opening different concepts within the same kitchen. So if you want to count that as one restaurant, that's true. Although literally you have Chinese restaurants selling Mexican food and Mexican restaurants selling, you know, pad thai. And so it's a bit of a trickier analysis that, you know, we can run down. But I actually think the strength of restaurants is, um, it's actually going to be really robust. And in some, look, look, let me, let me start by saying, obviously a lot of the smallest businesses are hurting, but actually across the board, there are signals for optimism where some restaurants on the other side of the distribution, frankly, are doing even better than pre-pandemic times. Um, and, and that's both small, medium and, and large. You talked about local commerce outside of restaurants, which has obviously become part of DoorDash's platform. Talked a little bit about B2B too. You know, it, it reminds me a little bit of if you go back and, you know, Amazon for, for the longest time was viewed as an online bookseller, right? And they'd started to do other things and expanded, but it took years until most people didn't think of it first and foremost as a bookseller. Do you think there's going to come a point where when somebody hears DoorDash, they don't immediately think restaurant and instead they just think, oh, that's how I get stuff? I think some of that is happening now, although it's very early, right? There's certainly customers who are coming to DoorDash for the first time through, say, a convenience offering product or, you know, flowers on Valentine's or, which is very recent, obviously, or buying some groceries. So, so some of that is happening now, but it's so early days, even in restaurants. And I, and I know, you know, we've been at the restaurant game for about seven and a half years now, but we still see massive runway just when you look at, you know, takeaway sales relative to the overall industry. And I think when you compare that metric for every category that we're now starting to enter, it's very, very early days. Final question for you. Uh, DoorDash was private for a long time. You raised a lot of private funding. And, and one of the things you hear from private company CEOs always is, the thing I really don't want to do when I go public is have to deal with quarterly earnings and dealing with analysts and all that. You've been through it once now. Are you dreading the next earnings season or are you looking forward to it? I, I know you just finished one. Let's go three months in the future. Where's your head at? Well, it's a good question because I, I didn't really have any as it was my first. And I tend to you know, approach new experiences in that way. No, I, I, I think it's, it's all about how you want to run your company. And, and I think public market investors and private market investors, I think, are the same in the sense that if you are clear with what it is that you're doing, and you can almost self-select one another based on how we make investment decisions and whether or not those investment decisions are viewed as attractive by the investors, I think it actually you know, doesn't really matter, private or public. And so I, I really think it comes back to how it is that you want to run your company, whether or not you can be communicative and transparent with your investment philosophies. And then I think you know, both sides will find you know, their match. Hey, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time. Likewise, Dan. 
Welcome back. A quick reminder that this is just one of two episodes we published today. The other is with Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky, and you can find that at Axios.com or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a listen, subscribe, and leave us a review. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national tell-me-a-fairy-tale day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.